Hello everyone, Brian here. If you'd like to support the Head Games Podcast, I encourage you to check out our Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash headgamespodcast, games spelled G-A-M-S, of course. There's all kinds of exclusive content and perks waiting for you over there, so please go ahead and check us out, and thank you as always for your support. everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Head Games Podcast. I am your host, Brian Gottlieb. Here with me is my beloved co-host, Mr. Jonathan Carter. Hello, Mr. Carter. How are you this week? I'm great. I just woke up from a nap. Things are awesome. You are doing an excellent job with the topical references and our lead-ins here, because obviously the show is going to be about sleep. Another poll winner for us Looking forward to getting into that topic. How are you doing with your burnout, Jonathan? I, we recorded an episode on burnout last week. You said you were a little burned out. Schedule taper off a little bit this week. You doing good? Yeah, it's good. I'm back to the normal routine, like legitimate workouts in the gym, eating properly, sleeping as well as I can, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's it's like amazing how much of a difference it makes when you're able to stick to your normal regimen instead of life taking you a different route. Well, I, I'm glad you're back to the head games lifestyle, which is how I've come to think of these things, taking care of yourself, <laughs> eating properly. And look, I mean, you laugh, but being on this cast is affecting my life too. I've done a lot more to regulate my routines. I've been eating a little bit better since we've done it. I, I got yoga back into my life. Yoga is something I really enjoy and always have a hard time finding a place for it in my mm. schedule. It, it just, you know, it, it's slower paced and takes up a lot of time. And when you're running around very busy, it's hard to put your stressors aside and just take that moment for yourself. But I'm getting back to it. And I think this podcast is a big part of that. I hope it's having a similar effect on our listeners. Yeah, that's so funny with yoga too. It's it's a thing that uh, I've said the same thing myself, like, oh, I I wish I had time when I'm not doing it. But it's the exact thing that you need when you don't have time when to you do don't it. Have time. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. The thing you need most is the thing that's hardest to build into your schedule. And also I think too, I mean, this is kind of an aside and not really where I intended to go with this conversation, but we'll explore it. I think yoga is a very beneficial thing. And when I've tried to introduce some of my other friends to it, they see it sometimes as boring or, mm. you know, not high impact enough, not active enough. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> like it's, it's supposed to slow you down in the moment. And that's not to say yoga can't be super intense because it absolutely can be and it can do a lot for your physical fitness. But it's also, I think, meant to embrace those kind of quieter moments and to, to get you in a place where you're able to slow down a little bit and regulate your stress. So this is a little plug for yoga. I, I don't know to what end I'm doing this, but uh, you know, it, it's something I enjoy and I figured I'd share it with our listeners. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk it at some point, but just any type of meditative practice has so many benefits for so many aspects of your life. And then yoga on top of it, just the flexibility, mobility aspect of it, just especially like the more years you age, like you need more of that flexibility if you're doing any type of fitness. Oh, that's what I was going to say is just as I get older, you you can feel your body like losing capabilities. I can't reach <laughs> as far as I used to. I can't bend in the same ways. And especially after, you know, my running workouts, I, I find a lot of stiffness, a lot of difficulty getting around. And yoga has been the best thing I've found to kind of overcome those perils of aging. So 
Yeah, I'm all for it. It, it, It's a hard plug here, and I hope I'm able to stick with it and and get it back into my life full time now. Anyway, having said my piece on that, it's time to get to our topic this week. And as I said, winner of our poll was sleep and nutrition for this week. And I think this is a big topic. It could be that we focus a little bit harder on sleep for this episode and push nutrition off a little bit. We're going to get to it. Don't worry. I promise we will talk nutrition. But there's a lot to say about sleep. And Jonathan, I will just pass the ball to you to give us our intro to sleep. I don't think you have to define sleep this week. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've all been there. But uh, you know, g- give us your intro words about the act of sleeping. Yeah, there's, as you said, there's so much to talk about. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into the science of it, but just I'm sure everyone has heard about sleep cycles. Like we don't just fall asleep and wake up and then there's like all of what we're doing in between is the same. So our, our body does go through five different stages starting at like the shallowest sleep and all the way down to the deepest. And don't worry too much if you understand, if you don't understand like the brain waves and whatnot I'm talking about, but this will just give you an idea of like what your body is doing throughout the night or whenever it is you're sleeping. Within like a couple seconds or a few minutes, your brain starts producing alpha and theta waves, which I mean, tying back to yoga meditation, this like stage one of sleep is when we're still alert, we're lightly sleeping a little bit, um, we're pretty easy to wake up, but it's a similar feeling to when you get into like a meditative trance, Uh, you're pretty focused during it and if you ever take like a quick cat nap, this is likely where you're at for the duration. So it, it's it's good in little bursts, but it's not like the, the restorative nature of some of the, the deeper levels. I'm going to put it out there right now. My favorite, that's my favorite form of sleep. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. I, I love the quick cat nap, like just the flirting on the edge of consciousness. And it, it's just always been my favorite form of sleep. Yeah, Probably because yeah. it's what I get a lot of. Like it's very hard for me to get to deep sleep. So that's why I've, I've grown fond of that style of sleep. Yeah. So like one and two, like two is a little bit deeper. Your brainwaves start slowing down a little bit. Like stages one and two are where you generally are during cat naps, power naps, depending on duration. It's where I was right before the cast. (laughs) Um, So like you can still be woken up during it, but it's calming. It's relaxing. It gives you a little bit of energy coming out of it. As we get into stages three and four of sleep, that's when... Your brain switches over to delta waves. You don't have a ton of eye movement. Your body's pretty paralyzed. And this is the stage of sleep where our body starts repairing muscle, starts stimulating growth, healing. And this is the stage of sleep where it's pretty hard to wake somebody up. They are pretty motionless and their body's just taking care of maintenance. They're repairing all their muscles and and healing stuff internally. Last one, which a lot of people probably heard about stage five is when we get into REM sleep or rapid eye movement. When we start sleeping for the night, usually happens about an hour and a half into our sleep. And this is when your brain is actually active. Uh, Your eyes start twitching. Like you can probably picture animals doing this when like their eyes start twitching and their like body twitches a bit. This is where we're dreaming So it's also the stage where short-term memory becomes long-term memory, which I'm sure we'll talk memory at some point. But until you get to this level of sleep, 
yes, there are some restorative functions, but in terms of your brain doing cleanup on all the areas of your brain, like that happens here. And so not until like an hour and a half into falling asleep, do you reach REM? And that's not like a hard 90 minutes throughout the night. Like you don't repeat the cycle the same way, but as the night goes on, it gets a little bit longer and we go through numerous of these cycles all night. We don't come all the way back out to stage one because then that wouldn't make sense. We'd wake up pretty easily. We go all, we go deep and then you just come like a little bit out, but you stay in deeper sleep throughout the night. How long does a, a cycle of REM sleep generally last? So it easy, like an hour and a half plus like the, the first REM isn't very long. They get a little bit longer throughout the night, um, but they're not massively long at all. So like you go through all of these within 90 minutes. And so you could probably divide your n- night up into like 90 minute cycles. But if you think about it in the morning, if you ever remember dreams, they typically are ones that you recently had before waking. And that's because you're waking up during this deeper stage of sleep. So obviously we could say this about almost any kind of cognitive process we go through as humans, but man is sleep fascinating. It's just like so alien and foreign and strange that this is the way our body has evolved to maintain itself. When I'm thinking about things like this, I'm always struck by seeing this across species. And you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing a pet enter REM sleep. My dog is a sleep runner. <laughs> so he just lays on his side and runs his legs along while he's sleeping and yeah. does like half barks. And it's it's kind of adorable. Sometimes I want to wake him up because I'm afraid he's like having a nightmare because he right. almost whimpers while he's sleeping. But I know that's just him entering stages of REM sleep. And it's crazy how it persists across species. We all as animals are using the same restorative pot process to get back to square one. Right. Yeah. So that's the... The REM area is kind of paradoxical, like when we're at that level of of sleep, because our body is like all of our muscles aren't necessarily functioning to the same level in really deep sleep, but our brain is really active. So if our brain does something in the area of our brain that's responsible for movement, well, that's why we see people running or twitching or punching and kicking, (laughs) Um, all that stuff. Yeah, all insane activities that I personally do. My poor (laughs) wife has had to put up with them for over 10 years now. And I feel very bad for her because it's it's probably straight up dangerous to sleep next to me sometimes. (laughs) Also a very uh, active twitcher when it comes to REM sleep. So uh, I'm sorry, Janelle. (laughs) Interestingly, like you mentioned, uh, it's something that all species do. We do it for a reason. Like, like our body needs to get to that level of sleep because that's when we repair our brain. I mentioned, and we were talking about yoga and how like the earlier stages of sleep are a similar feeling to meditation. So we can mimic stage one, stage two sleep. We can get those, the increase in focus from it. We can get a little bit of relaxation from it, but there's nothing we can do other than sleep to get at what our body does for itself in that deep sleep, the healing, the repairing, the just like cleaning up our brain of waste, all of that happens in very deep sleep. And if we're not sleeping, we don't get that stuff. So this is a bit of an aside and I didn't intend on going here, but does this process differ for induced sleep? I guess I'm speaking mostly like pharmaceutically induced sleep. So things like, obviously I'm sure it's different per medication, but I'm I'm thinking of things like 
Ambien and other sleep aids, is it still fundamentally getting us to the same process? Huh. I'm not entirely sure on medication. My inclination would be yes. I think part of what those do are, are help us get past the early stages of sleep. Right. Where like you just wake up a lot easier. Stuff like caffeine and alcohol mess with this cycle. But I would guess that medication that's prescribed for sleep problems skips, just like helps you get to that deeper stage. But I I cannot say that confidently. Consult your physician, please, people. Right. I I don't (laughs) intend to put you in a position where you have to give advice on things that, you know, are outside your realm of expertise. It's just, I find this topic so fascinating. Yeah. I imagine like that we have sleep drugs because they, they don't shortcut that. Yeah. It's super interesting. It seems tough. It seems tough to just supplant that whole process. And it, it probably is just aiding us in getting there. If if we have any medical experts in sleep sciences that want to just, you know, shoot us a quick email with some information, I would, I would love to know more about that. And I'll look into it myself as well and encourage our listeners to do the same. So, so having talked through the cycles of sleep now, mm-hmm. I guess I want to now transition to problems with those cycles of sleep because mm. you've certainly laid out a beautiful picture of a good night's rest where we've moved through these stages peacefully and gotten our restorative processes out of the way. But I know personally, I have struggled with sleep my entire life. I've had issues falling asleep. I've had issues while I'm sleeping. I've had sleep paralysis, night terrors, all these really difficult problems to deal with that come attached to sleep that are outside this normal smooth transition from phase one to phase five. So give us your take on sleep issues generally. Generally, sleep issue is not getting it, (laughs) which is obviously simplifying everything you just said. So if you have an actual sleep disorder or medical condition that gets in the way, that's what doctors are for. And they're going to give way better advice. Um, Like, so I know people with sleep apnea and it doesn't matter how well they structure their life and their relationship with sleep. Like ultimately their body stops breathing a certain amount of times every hour. And as you can imagine that, that jolts you out of sleep. So those type of situations, medical intervention helps for most of us though, like aside from some of the issues you mentioned, I think those probably fall in that same realm. Most of us are just like, really bad at getting sleep and we do it to ourselves. And that is the like overwhelming sleep problem is just not getting it. So like many things ourselves are to blame. I think that is a recurring trend about many issues we encounter when we're talking about performance on this show. It's often something we have more control over than maybe we think at first glance. It's also just like convenient to to think that we don't have control over it. Like, sure. <laughs> and I think it's just something as a society that we have so many societal beliefs about. We talked about them last week on when we were talking burnout. Like, uh, you got to put in all these hours to be successful. You'll sleep when you're dead. I mean, they're really, really, really convenient beliefs to have as a way to rationalize why we don't put any priority on sleep. Yeah, I, I think this is a direct correlation to 
burnout when you're being asked to do these tremendous, tremendous tasks and, you know, doing your best to optimize your performance or complete whatever it is you've been assigned to do. Sleep is the first thing we sacrifice a lot of the times. I'll sleep when I'm dead. We've all heard it. I have a feeling you're going to tell us that's a very, very bad stance to take. But one thing I want to touch on before we get to maybe some solutions to sleep issues, why don't you walk us through the impacts of improper sleep? Because we certainly know there's many of us who are not getting the sleep we need. What is happening to our bodies, to our performance when we're not prioritizing our sleep cycle? Yeah, the effects are immediate. They're massive. They're chronic. Um, I think some of them we can just think about experientially. So think of your, like anything you've done that involves interacting with other people and how do you or other people tend to act when they're tired? Irritable would come to mind. Difficulty focusing, a general lack of interest, uh, stumbling over words. Yeah. Some of it's like similar effects to what we were talking with burnout, but our body is low on energy. And so we don't have that same ability to regulate emotion. So people are cranky. Like you are tired, you're running on low fumes. And so it's already struggling to do the stuff that you're doing every day and emotions, they kind of take a backseat. And so you're far more likely to be irritable. Mood swings are apparent. And you mentioned lack of focus. Yeah. Our our brain didn't get the opportunity over our night to clean up everything that is a byproduct of, of working. So like there's I don't know, gunk, so to speak, that, that like infiltrates our brain. And so we can't focus because stuff's not firing as well as it should be because we didn't get to clean it up. Think about like uh, a computer when your computer is unable to defragment for like not talking solid state drives, all that. But like if, you're, if your computer can't maintain cleanup or if you've ever used a really old computer, it takes forever to do anything. And it's because it likely wasn't maintained. Right, right. Inability to quickly access information certainly parallels between our own thought process. I, I think maybe this is a good spot for me to share a competitive experience I've had with lack of sleep. Yeah. So- There used to be a system in Magic the Gathering by which you qualified for the top level of play, and it was based on performance in a single tournament. They were called Pro Tour Qualifiers, shortened as PTQs. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know what they are. And the way they used to happen, it was was a one-shot tournament, and they would always, not, not always, almost always be on either Saturday or Sunday mornings at various locations. Usually, the ones I played were within a three to four hour radius from my home. And like I said, Friday or Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings. And they were important to me. I wanted to qualify for the Magic Pro Tour. This was before I had qualified for the first time. So I, I I'd often, you know, take the trip and and participate in the tournament. The problem was this was at a point in my life where I was also bartending. And I would often bartend until four in the morning drive three or four hours to whatever destination I had to go to, somewhere in Massachusetts or Connecticut when I was coming from New York, sleep for 15 to 20 minutes in my car (laughs) at the venue, and then go inside and try and play this incredibly mentally tasking game for mm, 12 hours in some (laughs) situations. Jonathan, how do you think I did at these tournaments 
Sounds like a recipe for success. That is false, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I continued to do this for quite some time, never finding success, all the while getting frustrated. You know, I would look at my results in other other avenues, be it online play or tournaments where maybe I actually did sleep prior to them and just be like, I don't understand. Why can't I perform in this situation? It doesn't make any sense to me. In retrospect, it couldn't make any more sense. It's, it's not possible. My brain was unable to function under the conditions I was asking it to function under, and it dramatically impacted my ability to perform. I'm curious, like, if you have any recollection of on those days, how you assessed your own performance. I can remember a specific incident where I was in the midst of a game and there was a situation where I had to choose a card, place that card face down, and then I would get to use it later on in the game. Mm -hmm. And I made the choice, put the card face down, continued about the game, got to the point where it was time to then use that card, revealed it, And it was absolutely 100% not the card I thought it was at that point in time, despite having played the entire game in the fashion that it was going to be that card. (laughs) Yet somehow, I didn't chalk this up to lack of sleep. I I really can't tell you why. I think it was one of those things where, look, this was my circumstance. I was not in a financial position where I could give up a Friday or Saturday night shift. If anyone has worked in the bartending service industry, you know that is where you make your money. Those are your most important days of the week. And I was reliant on that income. There was no possible way I could step away from a shift like that in pursuit of Magic the Gathering. But at the same time, the game was important to me. I I had this goal I had set for myself and I really wanted to achieve it. So in order for me to justify this type of participation, I think I had to convince myself that this was a valid method of going about things. And also this comes from a place where this was after my run having played poker professionally. And in poker, there is very much a culture of if you are in a good game, you play until that game breaks. While the, while the financial opportunities are in your favor, you do yeah. not get up from the table. While if the that game means, is good. Yeah. If that means you have to play for 40 hours straight, then you will play for 40 hours straight because you know there, there's variable income potential in poker. And it all depends on the conditions of the table, who you're playing against. And if you have a table filled with what they call whales, you know, rich people without a very good- Throwing their money at you. Throwing their money at you. You have an obligation almost as a professional poker player to take that money for as long as you possibly can because those situations don't come up very often. And I think I brought a lot of that to my Magic the Gathering play where I was just like, look- this, this is my situation. This is how I achieve my goal. So if I have to do it without sleep, so be it. Yep. And I think that's, that's pretty common. And something that they've found is that people who are sleep deprived do have an elevated sense of their own performance. So they are sleepier, but they don't accurately assess their sleepiness, but they make far more errors, which sounds a lot like someone who's intoxicated. If you've ever been around someone or yourself been drunk, listeners, just think about your own perception of your ability to do anything. It's usually higher and you're not usually doing a great job at whatever it is you're trying to do. Yeah. I, I mean, look at my own performance. It, it almost fits 
to a T. I'm unable to remember things which are important. I believe that I'm doing fine and that this is unjustified and I should be having more success than I am. All of these things. That sounds like someone who's pretty intoxicated. Yeah. And it's it doesn't just get better the next day. Like It's this additive effect where even after one night of not getting enough sleep, like you can see, I mean, there, there are some studies that would say it's like a 10% decline in your performance. And this just gets worse with every additional lack of proper sleep. They call it sleep deprivation, or if it's over a very long period, it's chronic sleep restriction. But it's a situation where either in a very acute setting, you're not getting enough sleep, or if over days, weeks, months, you are consistently robbing your body of of proper sleep, we see your performance decline. Like we mentioned already, your mood changes. Um, it has impacts even on your body. So your body is constantly in this stressed out mode. So it holds on to weight more. Like it, it impacts your metabolism. Outside of performances, if you drive to work every day, that's a problem. Just there, There's so many areas of our life that are immediately impacted and chronically impacted by poor sleep. Yeah, this, you know, this whole time period for me was a time that very much, I'm sure you can imagine when you're living a lifestyle that requires you to be at work until four in the morning, you, you know, kind of have to shape your life around that. And in order to participate in normal society, that means you are often sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem that is really, really rampant in the service industry. Yeah, I delivered pizza in college. So uh, the pizza place in a college town, I mean, yeah. I think we were open at 4 a.m. So I wasn't getting home till like five. And then, yeah, you, you want to still be social on weekends. So you're getting up at whatever hour or like I'd have lacrosse practice. I mean, yep. you name it. And at that point, you can't really go back to sleep because that's when the world is waking up. So sleep just gets thrown aside and fit in wherever you can manage. Yeah, let me pose this question to you. And I'm sure this is going to be a familiar circumstance when I describe it. So during this time period, habitually, I was sleeping three hours a night, four hours a night. And I had gotten to a place where I had convinced myself that I was just able to operate on less sleep than the average human. And I was very fortunate for it. And you know, I was comfortable taking advantage of it. Is there any chance whatsoever that that theory was actually valid? Or is it just, you know, like you said, we are, we have a higher opinion of our own abilities when we're sleep deprived. And as someone habitually sleep deprived, was I just overstating my capability to operate on low amounts of sleep? There is a slim chance that you are one of the humans gifted with some pretty fantastic genetics that you can function on like four hours of sleep. Like, I, I don't remember exactly the the genetics that go into it, but they've done some studies on like Fortune 500 CEOs. And there are definitely humans who function better than average with a small, small, small amount of sleep. But for the vast amount of humans, the whole doctor recommended eight hours of sleep it becomes because on average, we need between six and a half to 10 and a half hours. Eight is right between that. And most people fall on that spectrum. Are there tons of us who convince ourselves that we could sleep less than that? 
Yeah. And we probably do okay. Uh, you can probably get by. There's all sorts of long-term impacts on your health. And you're probably just not living up to your actual performance potential. Like you're probably doing fine, but maybe you're not. And over time, like this impacts heart health, it impacts weight, it impacts your demeanor. Like imagine if you're actually just cranky because you're not getting enough sleep and then people notice that all the time. You're just cranky and it's just you being you, but it's because you're you're just chronically sleep deprived. So, so is that a thing? Yeah. I think so many people like to convince themselves that they've trained themselves to get like less sleep and be fine. I've said those words so many times earlier in my life. And you know what you, you do, you do get used to it. You, you train your body to do it, but that doesn't mean it's the right idea. And it doesn't mean it's the best thing to be doing. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to why I think I was ultimately pretty full of it, but <laughs> I, I think the reason why we are inclined to make these kind of justifications is that there are some very real, very difficult societal confines on our ability to sleep to completion, right? There's there's almost nobody who just when they lay down for sleep at, at nighttime is just going to go, okay, I'm going to sleep until I'm done with this, no matter how long <laughs> it takes. Yeah. There, there's not many people get to do that. But I'm one of them right now. I set my own schedule and, you know, with some exceptions, obviously there's often times where I have to get a task done during the day, but oftentimes I am able to go to sleep at night and do so with the knowledge that I will be able to sleep until I wake up of my own volition. Mm -hmm. And doing that, do you think I'm sleeping three hours a night now? I hope not. Absolutely not. There's, okay. I, I, mean, I, I, I sleep somewhere closer to seven hours a night. Yeah. So, you know, that a lessened amount from what you would expect, but on average, being able to sleep to completion, I sleep about seven hours. And that's a pretty clear indication to me that this superpower I thought I had was just a complete fabrication. Yeah. I was the same way. Like I, I'm also on the lower end. So if I get around seven, I feel great. If I get less than that, I'm probably needing an extra cup of coffee. And if I get way more than that, I, I honestly feel groggy. So like mm. way beyond seven hours of sleep isn't good for me. It, it's like it, it pushes past the limit. But yeah, for most of my life, I operated similarly. I thought I had this superpower where I could get by with, you know, four or five hours of sleep. And I did it and I was functioning enough. And really, I just, I, I, could always find something else that I would rather be doing than sleeping. Even to this day, like when t someone tells me that sleep is fun, like even my wife will even, she, she loves sleep and she's very good at it. I don't understand why sleep is fun and I can always think of something else to do. But my wife is very deliberate about her sleep habits and it is rubbed off on me and I sleep a lot more now and it's very good for me. I was saying before when we were doing our pre-show prep, there might be nothing on the planet I'm more jealous of than someone who's good at sleeping. Like that that person who just gets on an airplane and goes to sleep and wakes up in a new place. I am so jealous of you. I want to do that so yeah. badly. And it, it just doesn't happen for me. And it, it, it sounds like you were similar for a very long time, but maybe things are changing in your favor. And that leads me to believe you might have some 
Jonathan advice for us, which we all look forward to when we come to this point in the show, the point where you fix us very wholly and completely in, in just a few minutes. So let's do it. Fix us. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into it, I will say that I somehow have that superpower of teleporting on airplanes. Uh, so jealous. I, yeah. I do truly feel for you and anyone else who can't fall asleep on planes because they have not invented teleportation yet, but who does it feel like it for me? I get on a plane, I, I pass out, and then I'm across the country, and it's great. I can think of one instance I did it because I was just beyond exhausted. Like I just I had yeah. nothing left. I basically just collapsed on the plane. <laughs> and yes, it was amazing. It, made, it only reinforced this desire to have this yeah. ability in my life. So I don't know how to make that happen, but in general, for our daily sleep, I've got some suggestions. Let's hear them. Number one, and, and this is just overall, it's not like the number one tip, but the the general comment I'll make in line with what we've been talking about is you need to change your relationship with sleep. For most people, I think it is we wake up in the morning, we do everything we need to do during the day, all the things that we don't have to do, but we want to do. And then at a certain point, we recognize that we should probably sleep or we run out of stuff to do. And then we just fill that downtime with sleep. That's not good. Sleep should be a deliberate part of every day. And so part of that is like going back to being a kid and setting a bedtime for yourself. So it doesn't have to be like, you don't have to go to bed at eight. Like I'm generally in bed around 10:30 ish trying to fall asleep by 11 and then I wake up at six. So I get seven hours and it's like scheduled in there. And so it's pretty easy on paper, but just give yourself a bedtime, like make sleep part of your schedule. You schedule so much other stuff in your life. You probably even schedule nonsense each day with everything we've said about what sleep does for you, do the same thing for sleep. Couple responses to that. Sure. First, I now know I'm interrupting your bedtime when I message you late at night about <laughs> various head games ideas, and I feel bad for having done so. <laughs> Second, the idea of a bedtime is something that, like I said, my, my world is a little different right now and a little strange. So right. it, it's not something I think... I need to institute at this point. Although, you know, maybe you'll say otherwise. But when I was in uh, law school, it was incredibly important to me. I needed to be in bed at a certain time. And I always went to bed at that time. And it mm. doesn't mean I always fell asleep at that time. A lot of times I was still doing work. Even when I went to bed at that time, I was still reading, still studying. But getting myself on that schedule, because I transitioned from the bartending world that I told you about, where I was mm -hmm. sleeping very little directly to law school. And in fact, my first year of law school, I was still bartending. So I was kind of living in both worlds, which was complicated. I didn't have a bedtime during the weekend because I couldn't, I, I had to work. But during the week, I was very adamant that I went to at least to bed at certain times. That didn't always translate to sleep. A lot of times it translated to more work, but there was at least the chance. I was I was allowing for the possibility that my body would just be like, enough, you're going to bed now. And I'd fall asleep with a book on my face, which is something I did on several occasions. Mm. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> one to ease your uh, 
your concerns. Like my idea, when I'm living my, my best life, so to speak, it is like today where I get like a short nap in. And for me, that's a way to mitigate the fact that even though I'm saying that these are good plans, I don't always lay down and fall asleep at the, at the same time. But I, I respect the fact that my wife is very deliberate about sleep. And so like, we just try to go to bed at the same time and she likely falls asleep first. But I find that if I take like a 30 minute nap in the afternoon, that plus six and a half ish hours of sleep tends to be pretty great. That's part of it. But yeah, like the whole scheduling it thing with with your current situation, I, I don't really know if there's a difference. I feel like I've read something about it being consistent. It just becomes more of a routine. But I would say in your situation that as long as you're getting the hours that you can probably change that day to day. So timing is important. And I think for a lot of people, even making that change is dramatically different than whatever they're currently doing. Yeah. I, the first step is like starting to acknowledge there's something to be done. Right. And even just acknowledging, Oh, I should have a bedtime and starting to look at the clock and be like, Oh, it's past my bedtime. Mm -hmm. Or I should have went to bed a half hour ago, as opposed to just this kind of free flowing, I want to call it adulthood, because it feels (laughs) like it's very much, you know, in opposition to the way our childhoods were often structured with a bedtime and a wake up time. Whereas adulthood's like, well, I'll go to sleep when I'm ready. And actually, we're not going to sleep when we're ready. We're extending the time that we're awake to our own detriment. Yeah. And something else that I thought of when you were describing you said like I would go to bed, but then I would maybe end up doing more work. Your bed is for sleep. It's not there for work. It's not there for hobbies. Oh, we're like, going to fight on this one, Jonathan. <laughs> but, but is, I think this is going to be hard for me to accept. Yeah. I think most people ex- have difficulty accepting this and reading is different. If you have proper blue light filtering, like we, we can maybe make an argument for some electronics if they're not getting in your way. But when people are just using their bed as where they're studying or they have a TV in their room and they're watching TV in bed, all that is training your body to not recognize that space as where you sleep. Whereas if you sleep in your bed and you do TV and work and all of that somewhere else, it's cueing your body into making this transition when you lay down to go to sleep. I have no means with which to refute anything you're saying. <laughs> but and, you don't and, like it. <laughs> in fact, I, I know I am in the wrong here. I, I know that my approach to my bed is not beneficial to my sleep health. And look, I talked about how this podcast is starting to have effects on my life. Maybe this is the next one. For me, I feel like And I'm sure, again, a lot of this is always going to be self-justification. We're justifying Mm -hmm. our bad behaviors with, you know, excuse after excuse. And I recognize that, that there's always an excuse why you can't do the proper thing. Mm -hmm. For me, I've often used the crutch that I generally like to be stimulated at all times. It's difficult for me to take time and not be stimulated. And so sleep for me has been more of this type of thing where like, I'm just doing a thing. And then in the middle of that thing, I fall asleep. Yeah. Sometimes it's reading. Sometimes it's watching TV. I mean, I, I will tell you, I fall asleep with my iPad. I have like this weird pillow iPad thing and it just rests on my chest and I fall asleep watching videos <laughs> almost every single night. 
And I know that's not a good way to approach sleep. A lot of times, like after having fallen asleep with the iPad on my chest and uh, I'll, I'll wake up two hours later. And at that point, I will turn it off, roll over. Oh, and so do it's still playing. Sleep. It, I fall asleep with a plane. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the other bit in terms of sleep that I want to talk about is staging your sleep environment. I think a lot of us are not deliberate with the room in which we sleep and that electronics are often the big culprit. If we think about it, so like our body traditionally, like the, the human being, we would use daylight as our cue for when it is time to go to sleep and wake up. So like if you're sleeping, it is at all not in those hours, like blackout curtains are super useful for that reason. Like I have some colleagues who work in Alaska and they have, they have times mm-hmm. of the year where it is, virtually 24 hours of sunlight and so their body is not getting those cues and they need to use blackout curtains to tell their body hey look it's dark out we can go to sleep so tvs or ipads are a problem because they are not playing the same thing and so our body even though our eyes are closed can pick up those changes in light and it can wake us up similar with the sound of it a lot of people benefit from white noise and white noise is really good. It can soothe people into sleep, but white noise is really consistent. It's the same white noise over the duration. Whereas TV, like if it's actual TV commercials can come on, the program can change. If it's a video, like there's ups and downs in it. And like those sounds can jolt us out of sleep too. Like I said, I I can't fight you on this. I I just know my behavior is like not beneficial to me as a person. Yeah, and it's something I I need to look to address. But you know, we all make decisions that we know aren't the optimal ones for us. Right. And I, I think that acknowledging that is the first step, right? Saying, "Oh, this is something I can do better." So the next time I'm complaining about, "Oh, I haven't slept." well over the last two weeks it's on you jonathan to be like well are you still (laughs) playing your ipad ipad? (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean there's there's very clear solutions and it's always a cost benefit thing i mean i mean i think there is we look at consumption of media as like leisure but there is benefit to consuming media i mean you're certainly learning more and being exposed to more and you you can argue that experiencing media media is a benefit in certainly some instances so it's cost benefit analysis. Do I want that last second burst of media before I fall asleep or do I want to actually <laughs> properly sleep? And I'm sure the right answer is properly sleeping. We'll see how this evolves over time. Yeah. I, I want to run one more behavior by you. Sure. And I didn't prep you for this. So this just might be something we have to throw off to the next cast. When I was in law school before finals, law school is big on outlining. I don't, I don't know if people know this, but mm. you know, you, you may call it notes for typical college work, but in law school, you take your notes throughout the semester and then typically you whittle them down into an outline that really captures the essence of whatever it is you're supposed to be learning. And, right. you know, these weighed in for a course, if you were good at it, you could get them down into 30 pages. If you were not as good at it, they would be 60, 70 pages of all the very, very distilled information that was important to have committed to memory before you proceeded to the test. I would create my outlines. I would then read it, make it into an MP3 and play it while I slept and listen to it on repeat throughout the night. I am convinced that this had a positive effect on my ability to retain this information and 
I can think of instances where I would just pull something out of seemingly nowhere. It felt like I didn't have conscious knowledge of it, but I was just like, I've heard this somewhere before and I'm going with my gut and using this answer. Now, again, can be creating a narrative to justify my own behaviors. Have you any knowledge of using sleep time as a method to kind of improve performance, to do further work on whatever endeavor you're taking on? That's fascinating. So in terms of its impact on sleep, I think just given that I've I've heard your voice, I imagine you're not doing a dramatic retelling of these outlines. <laughs> so right. like it probably functions in the same way as white noise. Um, I, I honestly have no idea whether or not our brain is actually picking things up. And I feel like that's just you re reaffirming your um your belief that it did something but i'm definitely going to look into that because that's super interesting if i can find research on that maybe i'll pop a vlog up on patreon uh or i'll tweet something out before i let you off the hook because you sidestepped me before i could scald scald you for more (laughs) electronics um just one other thing with electronics in 2018 we are very good about it you were mentioning social media we're very good at using our phones and our computers like up until the last possible minute before falling asleep. The blue light that our electronics emit has a very negative impact on sleep because what it does is it delays the release of melatonin, which is the chemical that kind of tells our body whether or not we should be asleep or if we should be awake. And since blue light is impacting that electronics can make us feel more awake or like trick our body into being more wakeful. And that could give us trouble falling asleep. That said, like one overall comment on any of these sleep environment tips or just relationship with sleep. If you find that you're falling asleep well anyway, and you're waking up rested, then what you're doing is probably right. Or or it's at least working. Could you maybe see benefits if you changed a couple other things? Possibly, but like with all this, we are all very different people. So I have like my eyeglasses have a blue light filter. I've convinced myself that my doctor told me that that filters out blue light. And so when my wife falls asleep and I'm still awake, I'll be looking at my phone, glancing through some things, writing stuff to Brian, whatever it is. And like, I've convinced myself that my glasses are are doing what the doctor tells me they do. So like, I'm not infallible either, but just with all of this, consider if you are not getting the sleep you think you need, or you are feeling any of those symptoms we talked about, it's very possible you're not getting enough sleep. And so think about things like lighting, sound, keeping a cool room, changing your mattress. And then the one last thing we didn't mention is just alcohol or stimulants right before bed. Like you might think that alcohol helps you sleep. Sure, it helps you fall asleep, but the sleep you're getting is pretty crappy. You're never going to get to those deeper stages of sleep. And that's why you wake up feeling like crap. Yeah, I I drink alcohol on only very rare occasions at this point in my life. The times I do after I wake up, I generally feel like I did not sleep whatsoever. Just something about it. It, I, I don't know. I don't know how people who are more heavy drinkers are able to function really. It feels like I never sleep if I have been drinking the night before. And that's one of the huge reasons why I I just don't do it very often anymore. The impact on my sleep health is dramatic. Yeah. It's because when we talked about those five stages of sleep, you're, you're just not getting to the lower levels of it. And so 
all of those awesome restorative benefits of sleeping all night just don't happen. So you technically slept, but your body certainly disagrees. Right, right. Well, I think we've tackled a huge topic for this episode and we didn't even touch on nutrition. (laughs) So I want to transition this discussion to next week. And I think when we come back next week, we'll do some points on nutrition. We'll also do some cleanup on sleep, look into a bunch of the stuff that we mentioned uh, that we wanted to do some further research on. And we will be back next week to play some more head games.